So as part of our time of worship on Sunday, Mike had asked for a couple of readings to be included, uh, accounts from the Gospel of Luke of the resurrection of Jesus, which Mike then referred back to in his sermon, which you're about to see. Uh, but I just wanted to take a moment just to read these verses to you so that when Mike makes reference to them, uh, you would have heard what they, what, um, what they say. So the first reading is in Luke where they both come from Luke 24. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 12, and then the second reading a little later in the chapter from 36 to 43. So this is, what, uh, this is what Luke writes. He says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now... It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to take them an, seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marvelling at what had happened. And then from verse 36 to 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Uh, right, Pete mentioned earlier this is the second sermon in our month of prayer. Uh, I'm not going to be saying that much about prayer yeah, today because it's Easter Sunday and on this day of Jesus' resurrection, I'm going to be mainly looking at what Luke 24 tells us on that. Uh, we've already had two readings uh, from that uh, chapter of Luke's Gospel. But obviously, what we can do in prayer, why we pray, ultimately comes down to uh, what Jesus did. So this is fundamental to all that we do. I don't know what you picked out from the readings we had. Either side of those readings, you have the uh, record in Luke's Gospel of two of Jesus' disciples going to Emmaus and talking along the way, and they're a bit confused, and Jesus comes along and starts talking to them. My read, main theme I get out of chapter 24 of Luke is that everybody was on the first Easter Sunday was extremely confused and hadn't got a clue what was going on. 
it's easy for us to come to looking at this day of resurrection because we know the end result, because we've had 2,000 years of people thinking about what does that mean, how does it tie in, we're not coming at it in the same way as the people on at that time did. And if you've ever been involved where there's been an ongoing uh, issue, you know on, on the day it's very confusing trying to find out what's happening. But to go back a stage, I just want to uh, first of all show you, if I can, and my technology works on it, uh, a couple of things to do with Easter, to do with the resurrection, which happened uh, this, this year, this country. One of the things during lockdown I've done is I've taken out a subscription to The Spectator magazine, mainly because, as a lot of you know, I'm interested in current affairs and politics and that sort of thing. And usually its front cover is a rather, uh, I don't particularly like the style, but it's usually a political cartoon, <coughs> a cartoon <coughs> to do with something in the news. But this week, this is the cover they've got. I don't know if you can see it clearly. It's just about focusing. But as you can see, it's not what you would think for a politically orientated magazine. I also tend to use Twitter to uh, keep in touch with what's happening around the place. And this appeared on Friday on my thing. So if my screen share works, hopefully you'll now see, yeah, hopefully it's uh, working quite, you can see the main bit, I certainly can. But Professor Alice Roberts, if you haven't come across her, is the president of Humanists UK. And most years around Easter, not quite sure why she did it on Good Friday, rather on Easter Sunday, she tweeted, just a little reminder today, dead people don't come back to life. Yes, well. I think the problem with a tweet like that is at one level, it just seems like common sense. I think behind it, there's an arrogant assumption that modern scientific people know that dead people stay dead, but only ignorant pre-scientific people thought could think that dead people could come back to life. However, since the first family's existence, people have known that dead people stay dead. So that's why in the first reading, when Mary Magdalene, Joanna, James's Mary and the others were going to the tomb with, with spices and ointments, they were expecting to find a dead body there. They hadn't got any expectation that the body wouldn't be there. So when they get there, they are perplexed, they're puzzled, what's going on? And they only remember Jesus' words about the fact that he would uh, be crucified and on the third day rise when they're told by the two men in dazzling apparel. If you look back in Luke, you find from about chapter nine onwards, Jesus starts making references to the fact he's going to be killed and he will rise on the third day. 
they had heard his words, but they probably hadn't thought he had meant it literally. Either that or their expectation of what resurrection meant was so different that they didn't connect the two. And when they go and tell the apostles, equally to them, it seems so, so far-fetched they don't believe them. And even after Peter and John as well, according to John's gospel, have gone to check out the tomb they, and find it empty, they still don't really understand what's happening. Because if you look in chapter 24 and verse 12, it says, but Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. So obviously something had happened, but it wasn't really clear what. And when we come to the second reading, they're still trying to work this out. Even though apparently Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene and Simon, according to the different gospel accounts, they still can't make sense of what's going on. So it's not surprising if they can't make sense about what is going on, that a professor who is the president of the Humanist UK can't make sense about what is going on. You know, after all, even if the women have been reminded that Jesus said he had risen, he, he would rise on the third day. What does this rising mean? What do you, what's your, you know, even with Mary Magdalene and Simon having seen Jesus, how does this tie in with their everyday experience at that time? It's all very, very confusing. And when we come to the passage uh, we read of the evening, when Jesus appears, it doesn't seem to help to reduce the amount of confusion. Because Jesus appears among them. So he obviously wasn't there. And then apparently he was there. And we're told from verse 37, they're startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So Jesus then starts talking to them. And they're still trying to get their head around what does this actually all mean? And we need to go on really into verses 44 and 47 to start getting a feeling for that. So this is from verse 44 in Luke chapter 24, and this is talking of Jesus. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And I think that's the critical verse in all of this chapter. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Whether we're Christians or not, 
to make sense of the crucifixion and of the resurrection, we need Jesus to open our minds. We cannot fit Jesus into our worldview and hope to understand what is happening. We can't fit Jesus into the way we were thinking before we were Christians. It just doesn't work. We have to let Jesus change our way of thinking. We've got to let Jesus change our worldview to his. So, bringing that into some of its relevance for us to today, looking at that spectator cover. I think until about 10 years ago, most Westerners would have assumed that the kind of life, the kind of assumptions we make in Western Europe, North America, that sort of area, about life were the sort of assumptions any right-thinking person would make. That what you could call the modern Western worldview of human rights and so on was normal. However, with the growth of Chinese power and their insistence of doing things with Chinese characteristics rather than the way the West thinks, with the collapse of a consensus between the different uh, political strands in the United States in particular, and starting to see over in Europe as well, I think many thinkers are starting to question whether the type of society we live in continues, can continue, if the belief in Christianity falls. The idea that our culture is not automatic, what we live in is not automatic, but depends on Christian assumptions. Hence, in this week's uh, Spectator, there's a series of articles on Easter and how it impacts different people. And over the Easter weekend, there's been a similar series of articles on the Unheard website. Because people are starting to realise that if our culture has grown out of Christianity, the ultimate bit which defines Christianity as opposed to, say, the Roman or the Greek uh, philosophers is the fact of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. Now, historians like Tom Holland and others who have gone before him can show that how Christianity has molded the West to be like it is, and they can recognize that the impact of our society is due to what Christians believe, because Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And because of the effect that had on how we see other people. The fact that because all of us get our new life in Jesus, we then all are equal. The fact that power is not the ultimate authority in society. But as a historian, 
Tom Holland can't know whether it actually happened or not. Or whether he should believe it in himself or not. He can see the effects on society and see that it's had good effects, but he cannot know from his uh, purely historical approach whether the resurrection of Jesus was true or not. And when various Christians have asked him about this, when he's been discussing the ideas in his uh, books and so on, and been in debates, it's something he sort of fudges. And he recognizes he fudges it. He's, he's, he's not being dishonest in this. He, he, you know, he's very upfront that it's not some, it's something he would like to believe in a sense, but it's not something he knows he believes. But he would tend to call himself a Christian because he knows the kind of society he wants to see is one which is based on Christian principles, not on the power structures of, say, the Roman and Greek empires, which when he was younger, he was very attracted to. Because unless somebody's mind is opened by Jesus, you cannot make that step. And so ultimately, as we want to see people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, we need to be able to answer as best we can their questions, be able to talk about the things which cause them to have doubts. But ultimately, we cannot argue somebody into faith. The only thing which is going to enable them, as happened with us, to come to know Jesus and Lord as Saviour is if he opens their minds. And therefore, that is something we particularly need to be praying about. Because in that sense, that's not something we can do ourselves. We can show Jesus love to our community by doing things like make lunch. We can read about and understand as much as we can about the how logical and sensible it is to follow Jesus and how what we know of him is historically backed as much, if not more, than anything else we can know about historically. But ultimately, those are not going to change people. And going on in chapter 24, the next two verses, this is where Paul's, uh, sorry, not Paul, where Jesus says, from verse 46, and Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And that is where we come in. We are still part of that. We are part of this proclaiming of his name in all nations, telling people about repentance and forgiveness of sins. So it's not something we should be ashamed of doing. It's not something we should be wary of doing. It's something, though, we should be aware 
that often when we talk about these things, people will not see what we're going on about, will not understand what we're trying to say because their mind is not being opened. So we do what we are told by Jesus to do here, but also we need to keep praying that our, their minds will be opened. But also, I think we need to pray that our minds will be opened to what Jesus has said as well. Because it's so easy for us to try and fit how we think God ought to work, how the Holy Spirit should work in people, either through our own, what happened to us and our personal experience, or what we are, you might read uh, somebody's, based on somebody else's experience, how they say we ought to evangelize, how you should share the gospel. Now, we can learn from what other people do. We can learn from our own experience. But God is much, much wider than what we know. And he will use methods of bringing people to him, which we don't expect. Therefore, we need to be alert and asking him to open our minds to see what he's doing for his Holy Spirit. When I was preparing, I had a look, as I often do in Tom Wright's uh, commentary on Luke, and at the end of the bit about the women and Peter, he makes the uh, following comment, talking about our resurrection, but also talking about the gospel. He says, no doubt our own resurrection will be as much as a surprise in its own way as that of Jesus. Now, what, we'd ex now, what we might expect will happen is probably going to be far more glorious and far different. But anyway, but he also goes on to this. From the beginning, the gospel is good news, not least because it dares to tell us things we didn't expect, weren't inclined to believe and couldn't understand. Did we expect the gospel would be something obvious, something we could dream up for ourselves? And I think this is ultimately, I think, something which always causes me to give thanksgiving and to be amazed at what Jesus does, is that he does things in ways which we wouldn't think of. We wouldn't think he would do that. You know, he can take things which we might think are disastrous and or blasphemous and use them to bring people to himself. So, for example, when I was a uh, teenager, late teenager, I saw testimonies of people who came to be know the Lord Jesus through going to musicals like Godspell or Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, neither of those would tell you the gospel. But there were things which God used to start people along the path to salvation. We know in Muslim areas, when you get uh, atrocities by Muslim uh, Islamists against Christians and other groups, that often that leads people to query if they're a Muslim, am I really a Muslim? Is this what I really want? And start talking to Christians they know about their faith. 
things which we can see which look bad, God uses to draw people to himself. And so I think particularly something I've mentioned already before, as we come to this time as lockdown is ending, you know, as we see with things like what's happening in The Spectator, with people asking themselves questions, you know, what does this actually mean for me? Let's be prepared for God to have been working in people's lives to give them us the opportunity to share the good news with them. But as I say, let's not think that we're going to do this somehow by our own strength or because we can argue them in. We need to be praying again and again, I keep coming back to this, for God to open their minds in the same way that he opened the minds of those early believers. We need him to open our minds. We need him to open the minds of those who don't yet believe. And then we can find more and more the greatness of our God at work. Let's pray. Oh Lord, there's a lot about your resurrection we don't know and don't understand. Now, as I was preaching, I didn't even mention the fact that none of the gospel writers actually write anything about how your resurrection took place or what happened at the time. It's just not there. And we don't know. But Lord, we thank you that what we do know is that you were crucified taking the punishment for our sins and that you rose again to new life defeating death and and giving us new life and lord we want to see more and more people in our time town knowing that new life so lord we do pray in faversham and in the surrounding villages and further afield lord that we would see people coming to know you as lord and savior and lord we do pray that those who are thinking now about what does what does society mean to me what does the life i live in mean to me what do i want for the future that you'll be drawing people to yourself and drawing them to christians whether us other christians in our town or christians elsewhere lord to be able to show them the way to you lord and lord we do pray for our church lord that we will be seeing this year people being saved, added to the church and being baptised. That, Lord, we will see the same happening across our town, Lord, with the other churches too. That your kingdom will grow and that we might have the joy of knowing more people coming to know you. So, Lord, we thank you for all you've done in us. We thank you, Lord, for what we've seen you do in past years. And Lord, we pray that we'll see more and more of the work of your Holy Spirit over these coming days, weeks and months. Amen.